Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, thanking you for joining us today on the broadcast. Hey, there's two things that I want to share with you today, okay? Number one, I want to share with you some ways to improve your parenting skills. And then number two, I want to share with you some ways to improve your ability to share the gospel. So two things we're looking at the broadcast today. Number one, how can I be a better parent? Number two, how can I be a better evangelist, okay? Uh, let's look at the first one of how can I improve my parenting skills. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll read verses 7 through 12, and then I'm going to give you five traits to consider if you want to be a better parent. Verse number 7. Instead, Paul says, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom of glory. What amazing this passage is. What an amazing section of scripture. And so Paul is writing to the Thessalonian believers, and he's expressing to them just how much he loves them. So if you want to improve your parenting skills, number one, you got to express genuine love. Paul said to the Thessalonian believers that he cared for them because he loved them so much. Now listen, I can care for someone without loving them, but I can't love somebody without caring for them. You know, I think about the responsibility that is given to us as believers in Christ to care for one another. Now you think about how much you care for your children and what you do to sacrifice for your kids. You are willing to do anything you can to help them navigate through the difficulties of life expressing genuine love. That's love without any strings attached to it. It's loving somebody without expecting anything in return. You know, as I think about loving without expecting anything in, in return, I think about what you go through when you love somebody and they don't have the capacity to love you back. You know, a simple act of kindness will express love. Not too long ago, I had to do a funeral and it was a funeral of a young man who passed away and this man battled autism his entire life. This man was a guy who could not speak. He could never say to his dad, hey dad, thanks for taking me on that four-wheeler drive today. He could never say to his mom, mom, you know, I really care for you. He had a stepmom that loved him unconditionally. He could never say to that stepmom, hey, thanks for taking care of the hurts that I have. He had two sisters and he could never say to his sister, you know, I'm really sorry that I embarrass you sometimes. I don't mean to embarrass you. When I think about this little guy who grew up and just lived a very short life, he was a guy that taught that family how to love, how to love unconditionally, how to love somebody who would never say, I love you in return. Listen, when you really love somebody, you are genuine in your concern for them and you love them with sincerity. There's something else that Paul points out in verse number eight. Paul says that he actually delighted to share with them not only the gospel, but their lives. Uh, he was very transparent with them. I don't know if you've ever done this, but uh, years ago, I wrongly punished one of my children. Uh, I thought he had committed an infraction, and so I punished him for it. 
only to find out later that I punished the wrong child. You know, if you have more than one child, it's bound to happen to you. So one day I punished Joshua for something that he didn't do. And when I learned of my mistake, I apologized to Joshua. Now, thankfully, he didn't hold it against me, but he simply said, it's okay, Dad. We're used to you. You know, as I think about that, I didn't know how to exactly take that, but I know he received the apology. You know, kids don't expect us to be perfect, but they do expect us to own our mistakes, just like we expect them to own theirs. So if you want to be a great parent, begin with expressing genuine love for your children. Number two, don't be afraid to be transparent. Let them see that you do make mistakes from time to time. Own those mistakes, ask for their forgiveness, apologize for those mistakes, and then go on. Number three, work hard. Paul says in verse number nine, he says, do you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil, our hardship? We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anybody while we preach the gospel of God to you. You know, I think about the history of our wonderful country. The Christian faith has always been part of our country and has always included a strong work ethic. It's part of what makes this nation what it is today. You know, a person's work ethic is developed at a very young age, and it's a character trait that, if not learned very young, is very hard to develop as one gets older. So expect your kids to help out around the house, and then inspect their work to ensure that it was done completely. You know, the best way to teach a good work ethic is to display a good work ethic. Let your kids see you work. Let them be involved in your work, and then they will thank you when they become adults. Well, here's the fourth thing that I see from this passage that we've looked at. We express genuine love for our children. Paul says, I care for you, and I love you so much. And then number two, we are very diligent in being transparent, delighting to share not only the gospel, but our lives. Number three, working very hard. Remember that Paul worked so that he wouldn't be a burden to others. And then number four, be genuine in your faith. You see, Paul lived out what he preached. So he reminded the Thessalonians in verse number 10, he says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and, and righteous and blameless we have been among you who believed. I've discovered something about kids. Kids can spot a phony very quickly. So I want to encourage you to aspire to be holy. Now, I know holiness is not very popular today, but we are commanded as followers of Jesus to be holy. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But as he who called you is holy, be also holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. May we never forget that the main objective in our lives is not necessarily to be happy, but to be holy. In our pursuit of happiness, we must learn holiness, and then happiness is thrown in. Oh, be genuine in your faith. I'm talking to our men right now, and I want you to be men who would take the charge in your life. Be the high priest in your home. Get your children up in the morning. Get them ready to go to church. Be involved in their spiritual development. And then number five, if you want to be a better parent, be one who is encouraging to your children. Uh, Paul put it this way in verses 11 and 12. He says, you know that we have dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. So as we think about these affirming words, 
as we affirm our children. Are you a dad that really loves your kids and encourages them? I read a poem not too long ago by Dorothy Nolte. And I think you may have heard this poem before, but I think it'd be great just to read it to you today as you're driving home from work and as you're preparing for the weekend. Children learn what they live. If children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with ridicule, they learn to be shy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. If children live with encouragement, they learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn to be patient. If children live with praise, they learn to appreciate. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with honesty, they learn truthfulness. If children live with security, they learn to have faith in themselves and in others. If children live with friendliness, they learn the world is a nice place in which to live. When I think about this poem, I think we can gain much as we apply this to our lives today. I want to encourage you guys to be a better dad, be a better mom, realizing that your family is such a blessing to you. And thank the Lord for allowing you to have that family. I don't know if you realize it or not, but I was reading a statistic that said there are 1.2 million Americans who would love to have children, but for some reason they can't. Uh, Maybe they're unable to conceive, and they would love to have children. As you think about the gift of children, the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. They are actually our heritage. And so I want to encourage you to be a dad, be a mom that loves your children unconditionally. Well, I'm going to transition now to the second half of the broadcast. We talked to you about five ways to be a better parent. Let me now give you five ways that you can share the faith and share the faith more effectively. When you think about evangelism, our knowledge results from questions. And so, if you want to be effective in sharing the gospel, don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, Jesus, when he talked to people uh, and when he interacted with people in the gospels, he was asked 183 questions, but he only answered three of them. Now, instead of answering all these questions, Jesus himself asked 307 questions back. Now, if anybody didn't need to ask any questions, it was Jesus. I mean, he was like a good attorney. He knew every answer to every question that he was going to ask. So why do you think he did it? Jesus understood. Good questions can help us understand much more about somebody and can help them in the process of what they believe. Knowing where they are coming from will be very helpful in wisely forming an answer when the time comes for us when they are open to discussion. So effective rule number one in sharing the gospel, ask a whole lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask them in a non-condemning way. Ask them with gentleness and respect. But I've discovered that people love to talk about themselves. And if you ask them good questions, they will give you some good answers. It will help you to formulate your response. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. I think he did that so that we would listen twice as much as we speak. Too many times as we are attempting to listen to people, instead of listening to what they're saying, we're getting ready to formulate our answer. Now, just listen to what they say as you ask these questions. And then number two, as you had the opportunity to begin to steer the conversation, realize that steering the conversation is better than pushing for a conclusion. Now, many years ago, I was visiting a person 
who visited our church. I called them up and says, hey, I thank you for visiting our church, and I wanted to return the favor, and I'd like to come by to see you. And so the family says, sure, we'd love to have you come. And I went by, and I visited them, and I sat down in their living room and, and spent about an hour with them. In our time of being together, I decided to share the gospel with them. And, and I, I hate to admit this, but I, I was a little bit too pushy. I was pushing for a conclusion instead of steering the conversation. You see, I knew immediately as I talked to this family that they were lost and they needed the gospel and they needed Jesus in their life, but they weren't ready to receive the gospel. But in my immaturity and in my inexperience, I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And finally, this couple prayed to receive Christ. I tell people, I don't think that was a convert to Jesus. I think that was a convert to Calvin Corbett. The reason I think that is because that family never came back to church. I would call them and They would not answer my calls and not return my calls. I became so discouraged because I feel like I pushed them to a conclusion. I was so intense on converting them that I didn't see they weren't ready. You know, as a matter of fact, I think they prayed that sinner's prayer to get me off their back. I think they, in their minds, they were thinking, if if, if I pray this prayer, would you leave us alone? And sure enough, after they prayed that prayer, a few minutes later, I left. As we think about sharing the gospel, steer the conversation. Don't push for a conclusion. Don't push for conversion. Listen, we can't bring about conversion. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think about people that get disenfranchised with the church and they get discouraged. I think about those who have have been non-Christians and and never have darkened the doors of a church. George Barnard did a study, and in 2019, he explored the top qualities of non-Christians and those who lapsed in their faith. And he looked at these groups of people, and he began to talk to them, and, and he discovered that they think that faith matters, and they were looking for people that would listen without judgment. In fact, they asked them, what would you say are the top qualities of Christians? If you could have qualities that you could pick in Christians, what would be the top qualities? And they came up with two. Number one, 62% said that they would listen without judgment. And then number two, 50% of them said that they would not force a conclusion. Uh, So I want you to know the, the work of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is powerful, and it is the Spirit of God that draws men into salvation. Our job is not to make converts. Our job is to share the gospel. And we are to share it by steering the conversation and not worrying about pushing for conclusions. Listen, I've discovered when a person is ready to get saved, you can't stop them. I was listening to one of the testimonies, one of our kids who just came back from camp, and and the leader was talking about this young person who was ready to be saved. And this uh, leader was was sharing the gospel with them and, and was just really surprised because this person kept saying, I want to get saved. I want to get saved. I want to get saved. And sure enough, that young person got saved. They were ready to get saved. They wanted to be saved. And they didn't have to force it. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. As we share the gospel, don't be afraid to share the gospel, but don't be too insistent on bringing about that conclusion. It is the Spirit of God that will do that. Number three. As we share the gospel, be open, and being open is much more effective than being certain. We could say this is the difference between acceptance or approval. Right before you write me off as a heretic, I know the Bible reminds us that we're to be able to share the hope that lies within us, but we're to do it with gentleness and respect. Now, I want you to know, there are some things that I'm very certain about. 
I'm very certain that Jesus died on the cross. I'm very certain that three days later he rose again. I'm very certain that if I put my faith and trust in him, I will have everlasting life. I'm very certain that there's a place called heaven, there's a place called hell. Those who receive the free gift of salvation have an eternal home in heaven. Those who reject the Holy Spirit, those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, will be separated from God forever. I am certain of these matters. I believe that the Word of God is God's letter to mankind. It is without error, without mistake. The miracles that are are listed in the Bible really happened. They are real. They are not just figments of somebody's imagination. I believe the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. Now, saying that, I don't have all the answers for all of the issues that we face in our world. There are certain parts of my faith that I'm not certain about. That means I need a little more time to work through these issues. I don't have all the answers for exactly how the end times are going to happen. I know Jesus is coming back again. I know that the church is going to be raptured up. Those who are dead in Christ will be caught up to meet him within the air. Some people believe that the rapture is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation. I believe it's going to happen before the tribulation. Some think it's going to happen after the end of the tribulation. Uh, Nobody can be 100% sure on that, but I want you to know our world is looking for people who are honest about the questions of their faith. Carrie Newhoff explains it this way. The person who is always certain thinks they're being convincing when the opposite is often true. You're less convincing because being perpetually certain makes you appear anti-intellectual, closed, and a bit arrogant. So if you're open to people and their views, they'll be more open to you. Now, as I think about communicating with people, and I think about sharing the gospel with people, people love to talk about themselves. People love to be accepted. That doesn't mean I approve of them. There's a major difference between accepting somebody and approving of somebody. I can accept anybody. That doesn't mean I approve of everything in their lives. When I think about being open, that is very effective. Realizing, hey, we don't have all the answers, but the answers that we have, we are certain of. Here's the fourth thing that you got to keep in mind as you're sharing the gospel. Arrogance and smugness and superiority are dead, and our mandate is given to us in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, always be humble, always be gentle, always be patient, accepting each other in love. You see, we've been given this wonderful message of the gospel. That does not make us better than anybody else. That makes us a redeemed sinner. Oh, we are becoming a a saint because of what Christ has done in us, but that doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. All of us were born dead in our trespasses and our sins. I believe that the gospel is made available to everyone. And as we are sharing this gospel, we must always do it with humility, gentleness, and patience always accepting others in love. You know, there's an old expression. People don't really care how much we know until they know how much we care. Many years ago, I was a youth pastor, and as I dealt with young people, I had one teenager in particular that one day called me to task. I had been working with this teenager, and and in my opinion, this teenager was, was just as lost as Job's turkey, and he needed to be saved. And so I was constantly sharing the gospel with this young teenager. One day I sat down with him and, and he says, you know, you don't really care about me. You just care about my soul. Uh, you don't care about me as a person. You just don't want me to go to hell when I die. And as he said that to me, it hit me like a ton of bricks because although that statement wasn't completely true, 
I could see how he'd come about to that conclusion. Because every time I talked to him, I I didn't talk to him about what was happening in his life. I didn't talk to him about what was happening at school or what he was doing with the sports teams that he played on. The conversation always revolved around the gospel. Every time I talked to him, I would remind him he needed to be saved. He needed to be born again. Now, again, I was young and immature, but in his eyes, all I cared about was his soul. I didn't care about him. Paul reminds us that we're to be gentle and patient, accepting one another in love. Here's the last thing that I found in in sharing the faith. I've discovered as we are sharing the faith today that the timetable is much longer than it used to be. Now, how long did it take you to turn to Jesus? And then how long did it take you to fully follow Him? You know, somebody came up and they did a study and they said, there's an estimation that is done that it takes 25 people to introduce a person to Christ. You know, the first person thinks that he did nothing. The last person probably thinks that he did everything. How will you adapt to effectively sharing the gospel in our culture today? Realizing it does take longer. Uh, There's also this law called the law of seven hearings. Uh, Not only does it take 25 people to introduce a person to Christ, but people have to hear the gospel and understand it usually around seven times before they will respond. We never know where we are in that process of sharing the gospel. It may be the first time that person has heard the gospel. It may be the third time or the fourth time, or it may be the seventh time. We don't know. Our job is to share the gospel. When I think about sharing the gospel and I think about how we can be a blessing to our community, there are five purposes that we have been studying about the church. And and going back to Acts chapter 2, we discover that a great revival takes place. 120 disciples quickly turns into 3,000 people, quickly turning the world upside down. By the end of the book of Acts, we learn that the gospel had been shared with everybody who was in the world at that time. What caused that church to have such a strong foundation? Well, I think there was five things that that church had in common. And I want to use the remaining moments that I have today sharing with you these five components. We have a leadership that is unified. As I think about discipleship, I think about those who are grounded in the Word. The Bible reminds us that those who are overseers must be above reproach. They must be the husband of one wife. They must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Oh, I want to encourage you, be in a church that is exercising discipleship. You know, at Hickory Ridge Community Church, we disciple in two ways, through our small groups and through our classes. Listen, if you're in a church that is not offering you an opportunity to grow in your faith, you're not getting grounded in God's Word, where you don't have discipleship taking place, I want you to know Hickory Ridge Community Church may be a home for you. There's something else that we see in churches that are thriving. Number two is that they are connected to the body. They're connected to one another, and that is done through fellowship. Fellowshipping with one another, being engaged with each other. You know, every Monday night, you can find me in my small group a group of about 20 of us, and we always have a meal together, and we always enjoy that fellowship time together. Last night in our small group, I was out there cooking hot dogs and hamburgers, and some of the guys came out and helped me to cook the meal, and and then we brought it inside, and we sat down, and we gave thanks, and, and we just had a great time fellowshipping over some great hamburgers and hot dogs. And then we went in, and we studied the Word together. And around studying God's Word, we talked about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, 
We talked about what it means to be encouraging one another. We had a great time of connection around the Word of God. The third thing that we see is that we are serving together, caring for the body. You know, pastors are given the responsibility to shepherd the flock of God around them. And then we worship together. You know, worship is nothing more than honoring God. It is letting the Word of God flow through us as we honor God and singing praises unto His name. And then lastly, the church ought to be all about reaching the world with the gospel. Paul said to young Timothy, Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And he tells us in 1 Peter that we're not to do it in a domineering fashion, but we're to do it as an example to the flock. Well, I want to thank you for listening today. I hope that it's been an encouragement to you. I hope I've shared a few things that will help you be a better evangelist and a better parent at the same time. If I can help you in anything, please shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. We will pray for you. We'll help you any way that we can. That number again is 252-267-2365. I hope you have a great weekend. I look forward to talking to you again on Monday. I pray that you're going to be safe as you drive home. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. I look forward to seeing you on Monday. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.